0: Um, I, I love, uh, you know, obviously I have a, a passion for this kind I guess the best way to say it is sort of neighborhood evangelism, relational evangelism. I don't know what you'd say it, but the idea that people would be enfolded into our lives and that in some way or another that the evidence of Jesus in our lives would sort of flow out of that, that the looking for people in the margins and the way, you know, whatever it is that we might do that might say, I don't know whatever else it is you're doing, but would you want to hang out with us? is so incredibly compelling to people and being able to have people come into your sacred space of your home. Is beautiful and it is um, it's challenging. It creates questions that we have to figure out how to answer sometimes for our kids and other stuff that we know. Why don't they go to church with us all the time? Or why do they, you know, well, let's talk about that. And so, but this is where life is lived. And I believe it's some of the richest life you could possibly have. As you think about what you're doing on Labor Day, as we've said over and over again, you know, who do you want to include in what you're doing? And people love to be invited, even if they have to say no, even if you could just say, I don't know if you have plans, but we're doing this. And if they already have plans and have to say no, then they still feel like that was a nice person who wanted to include me in their life, and you don't lose. So I know that's like a giant risky thing for a lot of you, but you can see Amanda who goes, I fall in love with my neighborhood, and I want to see them be included in my life and enfolded into it and being loved. And so maybe that's you. And so I just encourage you to consider that. And um, Amanda, would, you know, she'll be around afterwards if you want to talk to her. You know, she'll be nervous, but you can talk to her um, and encourage her and tell her that she was awesome. Um, but, um, it's, it's central to the part to what we're talking about, it even leads in the next series, which we'll get into in September, but I'm really passionate about it. And I need you guys to get passionate about it because this isn't a secret club. <laughs> our gathering we have on Sunday, isn't a secret club. It is a, it is just one expression of our church. And the other expression, I think the more powerful expression of our church family is in the communities in which you live. And so, um, I believe in that and I want to give you whatever you need to make that happen. Um, so that's what we're about on Neighbor Day. That whole weekend. Okay, um, we are in. Uh, we are in the. We're wrapping up. We have another week after this one of the Bible series. We've been going on for a long time because the Bible, it turns out, is kind of a long narrative. Uh, but we've been looking at it for a number of weeks. And um, with this, this week, kind of, I guess you could say, it's like almost like part. I guess it'd be three of four uh, of a section, which is uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and so on, and on into the the, the early church. But I'm really excited about today. This is going to be a a great day. There's so much to cover. I'm really excited about all of it. And um, so let's do this. Why don't we pray together, and then we'll jump into today's message. Father, we're grateful that you have gathered us here. Uh, A lot of us are, um, to use the expression, are are running on empty. We we wander into today on a Sunday morning, and we feel and long to be filled. Father, we have a sense that there is... um, so much being taken out of us. And Father, we pray that you, you, the Holy Spirit, you would fill us. That we would leave not feeling so empty. That we'd have a greater sense about how you would want to come into us and to fill us up. That we would continually be filled by you. And that you would bring to us rich and full life. A life that we never would have expected. A participation in your eternal kind of life, Father. And so Jesus, for a moment, We pause. This is our sort of tradition, that you might speak to us in whatever way that you do, in the stillness and the quietness, about the emptiness and about where you choose to fill us, Father. And so we give you a moment to speak to us. Jesus, though we don't always understand it, and we don't always hear, we're grateful that you speak to us, and you would call us your children, your dearly loved children, and you call us by name that we might find you and know you as Father. It's your name we pray, Father. Amen. Um, hey, we're going to be in a couple different places in the Bible. We'll spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 2 as well as John 14. But you can kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll dance around there a little bit. But um, let me, as we're kind of turning your Bible, if you want to borrow by Bible, then we have some in the back. If you want to follow along on the screen, great. In your bulletin, there's a little outline. You can pull that out. And um, if, you, you know, if you happen to have a pen and you want to take notes, great. But um, have you guys had the experience, remember when you were a kid, and you had the experience of like running into your teacher at the supermarket, where it was like the most bizarre scenario in the world, like you're in the frozen food section, and then someone says, hey Jeff, and it's your teacher, and you just have this like, you don't, you don't live here, but you don't, you live in the school, like where everybody all the teachers live, you don't ever leave, we, you're there when I get there, and You have a car there but that's only so you can go and come back right there's just that weird sense of like you're not supposed to be here you have a world that you live in and i have a world that i live in and i suppose they could overlap a little bit but there's a place for that and as a kind of a design where that's supposed to happen but you in the frozen food section and i'm not sure you should be eating that or whatever else it is that's in your own there is a way in which things are supposed to there's two worlds sort of colliding there have you ever seen you know maybe i remember one time sort of the opposite scenario is i remember uh, my mom is here today, but I remember when I was in, I think, third or fourth grade, my mom was really, she was really intentional about me making sure I had my shirts tucked in for school, which is why I don't now, Rebel. Uh, but no, she was really, so and I didn't have to have a shirt tucked in at school, but I did. And I, and I generally lived with a uh, pretty guilty conscience if it ever came out. I was always tucking it in and stuff. But one day I was like, how, how in the world is she going to know? <laughs> I'm at school. She's a working mom. <laughs> I'm untucking my shirt. I'm going crazy today. And sure enough, on that day, my mom showed up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I, was, I was just playing basketball. My shirt I, she came on, and I was like, she's like, I'm just here to drop off. So like, I know, but I was, my shirt's untucked. And she didn't even realize, you know, but I just built this whole thing up. What are you doing here, Mom? This is my world. You're supposed to be in yours. Somehow or another, something's not right. Last example I could think of is watching my kids whenever we go to, like, Wahoo's, and the firefighter, the fire department shows up. They have that look of, like, firefighters eat fish tacos. Here, where we eat, they just can't believe that the two worlds, like, they don't, I'm like, what do you think they eat, s'mores? I don't, you know, I don't know what a firefighter's eat. <laughs> but I suppose these things could be together, but they're supposed to be separate, but there's these things that are kind of colliding. And, and what I would say is, most of the time when we have that experience, especially when we're little kids, we have that experience of like, well, what does this, what does this mean now? What, it, because these two worlds are colliding, what does this actually mean? In Jesus' life and ministry, you have basically a collision of two worlds that are kingdoms, is often the language that's used, in which Jesus is bringing about a kingdom or inaugurating a kingdom that everybody else is like, yeah, I guess that could be happening, but that's supposed to be separate. These, we live here and that's over there, and shouldn't these things be kept a little bit more separate? In fact, when you look at uh, Jesus' kingdom project, he's proclaiming something about this thing called the kingdom. He's enacting it in things like he's preaching about it, but he's also enacting it in terms of his healing and his sort of confrontation with the other powers that be, the other religious powers that be. And you have sort of the essence of what I would say is some of you guys grew up with reciting this prayer often, the the Lord's Prayer, as you grew up in some traditions, just called the Our Father. What you actually have, the, the prayer is that God's will in heaven would be done here on earth. That this in essence is saying, I want the kingdom purposes of heaven to be lived out right now here. Two worlds are then sort of colliding. And in all of Jesus' kingdom work, the disciples and all the first century people who are sort of watching Jesus are all asking the question. It's the question we all ask at some point or another in our lives. Whether or not you're someone who's been connected to church, whether this is your first time with us, whether you're investigating, whether or not you think you really needed another wall in your church experience because we got one. But whatever it might be for you as you're checking out church or you're investigating Jesus, whatever it might be, no matter where you are, the disciples... And all of the people watching Jesus, they ask the question. They ask the question you ask when you're sort of mowing your lawn, when you're uh, falling in love, when you're commuting to work, when you're studying, when you're taking care of your elderly parents. They ask the question when you're contemplating a breakup. They They ask the ultimate question when they're looking at all of the Bible and the God they see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. They ask the question, what does this all mean? What does this all mean? I mean, really, when we're talking about the Bible at all, is does any of it really, truly matter? Is any of it relevant? Because I got other stuff to do, and if it doesn't really matter, then I don't know if I need it. I don't know if I need the God revealed in the Bible. I don't know if I need that at all. What does it mean? If you remember, just to jump back a couple weeks, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he has this famous Last Supper with his disciples. And he begins to explain to them a few things. He talks about, hey, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to die and rise again. They're just, they just, they're comp- all the disciples are like, what are you talking about? And then he says this all throughout. If you look at John 14 all the way through about 16, even, even beyond that, I guess a little bit even beyond that, they're all kind of wondering, Jesus, what are you doing and what do you mean? What does this mean? And he says this incredibly bizarre thing to them. They don't totally understand. This is in John 14, 16. This is what, they, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, you have to understand, this, this is like, it's, we, if you grew up in the church, you might have an understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. But the disciples are like, we don't totally get what you're talking about. First thing you have to catch is that this is, Jesus says there's going to be another advocate. Which means, the way in which Jesus already understands himself to be is that he is an advocate for the disciples. The, the other words, sometimes other translations, you have the word comforter or helper, that I'm with you guys in that role. I am on your side. And he says there's going to be another one who's kind of like me, who's coming of the same essence, the same stuff, and he's going to be sent by me. And Jesus has told them some weird stuff, like I said. Hey, I'm going to die Then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You can't come with me where I'm going. They're like, well, we want to go with you? You can't come with me, but I'll show you the way. Like, all this weird stuff. And then he says, I'm going to, there's this new, and he's been repurposing, like, Passover. And he's going to do all, they just can't totally understand it. And he says, the spirit of truth will show up in a new way. Verse 17 says this. The world cannot accept him. By the way, I should say this. If you're following following along in your outline, I think I already did this for you on your outline. But if you follow along in your Bible, underline every time you see the word, Him. Every time you see the word "him," the world cannot accept him, meaning the the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, first of all, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. If you grew up in a tradition like I did, you get a little nervous, like, "Oh, dude, what are we going to do today?" Like, how, is, everything, is everything cool? Do I, do I apologize to the people I brought today? What are we going to do? Now, others of you are like, thank. finally, we're going to talk about the Spirit. What are we doing in here? You know, like, there's a whole bunch of different kind of realms which we come from when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The first thing you have to know is Jesus does not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. There is it, the Holy Spirit. It's not the force from Star Wars. Some of us grew up with that understanding. Like, there's the Holy Spirit... It's an energy field created by all living things. It binds us. It penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. That's Alec Guinness, by the way. That would have nailed it, by the way. That's was from Star Wars. But you have some of us have that impression that there's this kind of like impersonal force that we kind of tap into. Like Jesus created it. Like I have an idea. Father, what if we made a force and we just gave it to people? That's a wonderful idea, son. And that's kind of how it came about. That there's this it force happening in the world. Well, that's not really the way it's described. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a personal personality, part of, God's, part of God's essence. The Holy Spirit comes as part of who God is. And you have, you know, for a lot of us, we sort of treat it like, it's, like the Holy Spirit's like, a, like, like it's electricity, like he's electricity. Like we would just go kind of tap into it. It could be used for good or evil. It could turn lights on. Or this is the force. Or it can also taser people or whatever. Like this is the Holy Spirit for a lot of people. I guess that's how he works. Or in that misunderstanding, it would be it. Some of us have an understanding about the Holy Spirit, and we talk about Him. We talk about Him like, this is like Christians gone crazy. There is like people that do crazy stuff. They bark and fall over and laugh like crazy, and they, there's all kinds of stuff that they do. And there's people that have used Holy Spirit language for manipulation and coercion. And well, I'm not, I don't get that at all. Some of us have that kind of idea. Others of us have this sense, this is more of like what I grew up with, I guess a little bit more closely, is actually this idea of that the, whole, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's really this dangerous fire, but if we could just keep him kind of like in the living room fireplace. You know what I mean? Like, over there, that's otherwise dangerous, but over there, if we, keep it by, if we keep him behind the sort of screen here, you know, our kids won't get burned, our dog won't get ignited, you know, Like, but there he is. Everybody, there's, and when if we're just tired of him, we can just kind of turn on the gas, and he's gone. You know, like, that's kind of the way a lot of us grew up. At least that's the way I grew up. That The Holy Spirit, as Jesus talks about him, is just someone who comes along who has a perfectly safe place to exist and he shouldn't really be out running around doing stuff because that's too dangerous. Jesus says he's leaving and he's telling his disciples this is going to be good for more ways than you understand. But part of the reason why it's so good is because the Holy Spirit will come upon you in a totally different and fresh way. He tells the disciples right before his ascension, he says, right before he ascends into heaven, he goes, you guys, the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. And you'll do all these things in all these places in the world. He tells them all this. And they're like, okay, we're just going to wait around for that, I guess. Because they don't understand. And they're asking themselves the question, "Well, what does that mean, Jesus? You're leaving. We like you. You're our guy. We don't need another advocate. And he's like, you don't understand. In this new, the advocate that I'm going to send can be with everyone, everywhere, all the time. I'm located in a spot, and this guy can be with everybody, everywhere. And that's better. And they're like, okay, I don't totally get it. What does it mean? And so they're waiting around. And when we get to Acts chapter 2, this is where you begin to see, like, you kind of wonder, how will they know when the Holy Spirit's, when he's arriving? This is how they know. Check this out. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Okay, a couple things. I have a neighbor who is, I think he's 20 years old. And he has, um, he has a 68 Mustang with unbelievably loud and impressive exhaust on it. It's so awesome. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. And we know when Matt comes home late, when Matt's leaving, when Matt's going on a date, you can hear it because it is just blah. It's just like I drive a Honda Odyssey, you know, whatever in your face, you know. But it's just like I mean, you just hear this thing. It is so impressive. It's so, and I know, oh, that's Matt because nobody else on our street has like a loud motorcycle. I just know that's Matt. I'm like, there, he, there he goes. I can hear him coming. Now, this is kind of what's happening here. Like whoa, 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 whoa. There's the sound happening. Something's going on here, and they're beginning to think something's happening that we were kind of anticipating but not knowing what it was going to look like. But there's another part of this too. What's identified here is this holiday called Pentecost. And essentially it's one of three of the pilgrimage feasts that the, the devout Jews would make um, all over the course of their lives. They would make, over each, there's three times a year they'd make a trip to Jerusalem. And this is one of those times. And during the Pentecost feast, which is, 50 days after Passover. That's where we get the term Pentecost, 50 days. But this is, they celebrate the first Pentecost, in which was 50 days after the Passover, the first, like, not just the celebration of Passover, but the actual Passover. If you remember this, a couple weeks ago, it was a long time ago. But if you remember, the Israelites are captive, captive in Egypt. And God says, among sending a bunch of plagues, the last one he's going to send is this one where he's going to send the angel of death over everybody. But if everybody was to mark their doorposts, with the blood of an unblemished lamb over their doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over those people, and thus the name, and then they would be liberated from captivity. Well, it so happens that on, on, as this angel of death passes over, animals are dying, people are dying, the pharaoh in charge of the Israelites says, okay, Israelites, you're, or in charge of the Egyptians, says, all right, you guys, Israelites, you're out of here, I can't handle this anymore, and they all leave. Fifty days after that Passover, they end up at a place called Mount Sinai, Pentecost. This is where God This is where God is celebrated at Pentecost, 50 days after they walk out of Egypt into, the, prom, into the, the desert. They walk to Mount Sinai. And this is where God reveals himself in an incredibly fresh way to them. Here's what it says in Exodus 19. Just take a look at this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Thunder and lightning. This is where God gave to Moses the the first five books of the Hebrew Bible we call the Torah. This is like, this is where, now often that gets translated poorly as the word law. But when, it's more actually probably better translated as the word instruction or guidance. It's the way God would be revealed to his people who are now newly freed. They've been freed from captivity. It's the way God says, here's how you live as free people. You've been living as people who have been held captive, and you don't know how to live as free people. And that's how the Torah is received in the Jewish tradition. Not, oh man, God just threw a bunch of law upon us. But this is God's gift about how we live as free people. God reveals himself in a fresh and powerful way to his people Fifty days after they're set free on the Passover celebration. They're now at Mount Sinai. And here God says, here's who I am. And here's who I want you to be. Continuing on in Acts 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled all of them. So there's a violent wind, there's sound, and there's fire, and the advocate has arrived at Pentecost in some very similar and yet very different ways than God revealed himself at Mount Sinai. But there's some similarities there. There's fire, and there's sound, and there's some inexplicable what-does-this-mean kind of stuff happening here. And then there's also this other part of it. It says that the believers were filled with him. That somehow or another, it wasn't just merely that there was this sort of occupation over, but that the believers were filled with him, the Holy Spirit. And now what was previously held in sacred spaces like temples or fireplaces, you might add, for my own self, it now, the Holy Spirit now makes every single believer themselves, wherever he would reside, a sacred space. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, is a sacred, pla- a sacred place, and you have then... These guys who are receiving these tongues of fire, which are resting upon them and filling them. Listen to this, Acts 2, 5 through 11. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. let's stop right there. God-fearing Jews is not just sort of an indication of, like, good and faithful Jews. God-fearers is actually a distinction of people. These are people who are, they're, they're generally people who are following the, Israel's God, Yahweh. But they're not, they haven't done all of the necessary, they haven't been circumcised. <laughs> okay, just put it that way. These are guys who are like, we like Yahweh, he's really awesome, but we're not, we're not totally sure about all, we don't want to do everything. But they're dedicated and loyal people to, to Israel's God. And they're, they're not, so they're ethnically not Jews, but they're there in, in, Israel, in Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration. So here's what you have. The god fears. Uh, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8. Then how is it that each of us hears, hears them in our native language? Uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, uh, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia... Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They're all saying, this is crazy stuff. How in the world is this happening? These people we know, they're from this little part of the country called the Galilee, and yet they're speaking our language. And when they see all of this happening, what is their reaction? Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? That's, that's really amazing. Now what are we supposed to do? Uh, they, they've seen this sort of tongues of fire. They've heard the sound and language. they felt the wind. At the first Pentecost, you have God revealed to Israel in a brand new way. And now at this Pentecost, you have God revealing himself to the world in a whole new way. Because he's not just speaking in Greek or Hebrew or a particular language. He's speaking in all the all kinds of languages that people would hear in their own language, which means there's something going on here, just kind of revolutionary. I live in a neighborhood that has, you know, like, it's, it's not quite as elaborate as, like, Ladera Ranch, but it's, it's, the, it's the predecessor. It's the grandfather. It's called Woodbridge. It's in Irvine. And there is, um, there is a, there's, you know, it's, there's an HOA there. It's, it's, you know, it's borderline Gestapo. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you had a cooler in your lawn for two hours yesterday. What's up with that? I don't know, we, your kids had water balloons in there. <laughs> water balloons? I mean, it's like, you know, everything's just, you know, your garage is open for an hour. I know. <laughs> we have to go in and out of it. We don't do that here. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> but part of that HOA is it has 22 pools. And one of the, and, and, and all the pools that have lifeguards, which we try to avoid because of this reason right here. <laughs> and all the pools that have lifeguards, they have something where they refer to it as, they, like, kids are swimming, you know, and then they'll just immediately grab their giant, like, cone megaphone things and go... Adult swim like that. They didn't say it like that. I don't that's part of their training. Adult they can't just say adult swim. They have to say it like that. Adult swim. Like the tape got slowed down. Adult swim. And they and and all and by the way, is that like the, like the worst name in the world for like I mean, adult swim. Brought to you by the Woodbridge Village Association. I mean it's like crazy. Like, so, but the adult swim, kids, rest break, and then all the kids come out of the water 15 minutes, and, of course, what happens during that adult swim? Nobody goes in the water, because kids, like, we don't take our kids to our awesome lagoon thing, which has, like, little pinner water slides and, like, nasty water. We don't take them there so that we can swim in it. You swim in the nasty water and go in those little slides, we're not going on that so all So, all the adults now are like, what do we do with our blazing hot kids who are throwing sand at each other? We're like, let them go in the water. Now, one time, my friend, he's... <laughs> from Huntington Beach. (laughs) But as soon as they yelled out, adult swim, he goes, what's that, McGuire? I go, well, they kick all the kids out, so it's just like only the adults can go down these little ridiculous slides and whatever else there is. And he's like, okay. So he just, he charges into the water. Yeah! Yeah! Kids, get out of here! I'm swimming! And he's like just diving and splashing and doing all this stuff. Just like doing the whale slam in the water, because the water's only that deep. He's going down the slide, and you get out of here, kids! And just totally over, over, because it was like, we have access and you don't. Okay, now, The great moment of joy comes when after 15 minutes or so, they yell out, free swim, which means not only adults, but also kids can swim. It means everybody can be in the pool now. What's happening here in so many ways is, this is the end of adult swim. It's not just for some people. God's Holy Spirit is not just for his chosen people. It's for everybody. That's why you have it spoken. That's why you have these guys hearing things spoken to them about the glory of God in their own languages. This isn't just for God's holy special club of people. It's for everybody to be able to be involved in it, to be a part of this, to be connected to it. And remember, wherever the Holy Spirit resides, that's a sacred space. And it is residing in these people, whoever would walk with Jesus. And what? Now, you're all asking the same question. What does it all mean? You have the Holy Spirit who is accomplishing something, who is revealing something to these guys. God has shown up in a powerful way. His manifest presence has been seen even in weird ways with like tongues of fire and language. What does this all mean to me? Every day I get up, I take care of my kids, I go to work, I go home, I have, you know, my wife and I try and have a date. night, Whatever it else is that you do, that pattern, you're going, well, what does it all really mean? I want, there's a lot of ways we could describe this. I want to just give you a few things to think about. There's, man, we could, we could have 10 weeks of just on this whole topic. But I'll give you just a couple things to hold on to. So some of you guys who are like, yeah, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're going to be talking to me afterwards, going, you didn't say this and this and this. I, I know. This is just what we got to hold on to today. But check this out. Galatians 5 says this. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church, he says this. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now, he says these two things. There's Spirit and flesh. These two things don't really belong together. They're two things that are opposed to each other. And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. That there's some kind of intimacy with the Spirit, which you can't have intimacy with the Force. And he's not saying this is, we want you guys to be absolutely insane. What he's saying is, I want you to walk with the Spirit. I like the idea, instead of running hysterically, I want you to walk with the Spirit. Continuing on, he says, now remember, there's two sort of contrasting things here between spirit and flesh. He says, this is what the flesh is all about. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. This is a super fun list. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Wow. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, listen to the kingdom language, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says this is the kind of stuff, when you live in this world right now, this is the kind of world world where everybody tells you that's the stuff that means ultimate freedom. The more access you have to that list we just made makes you a free person. And what Paul says and what the Bible seems to reiterate over and over again is that stuff is captivity. That stuff is what keeps people captive. And people live under the illusion of because I have access to all of these things, I must therefore then be free. And what's so crazy is there's no there's no real, we have access to it even in Jesus. Like, man, we're, we're part of Jesus. And it's not like we have, like there's no Prevention—we get to choose it or not choose it on our own. And Paul's saying, "You can choose this stuff, and it is part of another kingdom, but it's not God's kingdom stuff. That's the stuff that leads to captivity." And you talk to people who've been trapped in that kind of life—they don't talk about it once they're out of it. Like it was the greatest time of my life. They talk about it like I did not know how I was going to get out of it. The unmitigated access to our own desires doesn't lead us to freedom. It leads us to a different kind captivity. Freedom isn't being able to do whatever you want. Freedom is being mastered by nothing. Being mastered by no one, having no thing have mastery over you. What Paul's saying is that the Holy Spirit wants to do is build God's kingdom stuff, so to speak, in us. Here's what the kingdom stuff is, verse 22. You've heard this before if you grew up in the church, but the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Some of us know that as patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The way God shapes us into being, the way God shapes us into being the people that we were intended to be, is by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. That means... This will be kind of a shocker for some of you. That when we're talking about stuff here at church, we're not simply talking about a new way to live, a new person to follow, a new sort of teacher, a new moral, all those things are true, that that Jesus is a moral teacher, but that's not all he is. That God intends to transform us in a supernatural way. That we don't simply kind of try real hard to do good things. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit the person of the Holy Spirit comes into our own lives and begins to start working in us these kinds of things. Love and joy and peace and patience. and calm. That stuff begins to be at work in us because of the Spirit's work in us. Now the most difficult thing for us to do, two really difficult things. One is this. This involves somehow killing some stuff in our own lives. That's what he says. You know, we those who belong to, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Meaning the flesh kingdom, that selfish kingdom, we've killed that stuff. And for a lot of us, it's every day we go, I have to put that stuff to death. That I might live in true freedom. <clears throat> God's kingdom the way he intended for me. That's hard to do. Because there's a part of us that's built within us that goes, man, it'd be great to be able to have access to more of that stuff. But we've got to kill it. And then there's this other part where people kind of get this wrong. People look at this list, especially if you grew up kind of like I did in the church. There's a little bit of an an understanding here that what we're supposed to do, which we don't really get this, is the language is important if you're from an agrarian society, if you're a farmer. The use of the word fruit is a really important sort of idea. This means every every farmer knows you can't can't go out there and produce fruit first. You can't make fruit first without doing a bunch of other stuff. Fruit is the outcome of something else. In other words... I can't look at my, like we have an avocado tree that's been fruitless for however many years. We just, it just mocks us because we love avocados. And it's just, there it is. It's just, there's this sort of weird leafy plant thing. that's just not giving us any avocados. We can't start with, we can't just go out there and demand avocados. I mean, if we really want this thing to grow avocados, we have to change the soil, water it differently, do whatever it is we have to do to make it so, which means that the outcome of all that other stuff is fruit. Now, here's what I mean. The outcome of the Spirit in you is these things. I've heard a lot of people get this wrong by saying, I really want the Spirit to live inside of me. I want to be transformed. So I'm going to work on these things so that the Spirit will be inside of me. That's backwards. What's being said here is, if you want to live as God's fully alive members of his kingdom that have these kinds of things in it, in your life, the Spirit has to do that in you. These are outcomes of the Spirit. This is why it matters. What does it all mean? It means that God intends to transform you into the people that he intended you to become, not by your direct effort, but by his work of the Holy Spirit within you. That's, that's the essence of what this is all about. Some of us get overwhelmed and, you know, kind of like we kind of get a new determination. I got to try and get more fruit. I got to work really hard to get more fruit in my life. And some of us have a panic. Those of us who are like really, you know, nervous about impressing other people around us. Let me just tell you, as you think about that for a moment, that there's like there there are some churches I know and some parts of the expression of the church where it's like people kind of have adopted this fruit inspection, fruit inspector kind of job. They walk around like, I don't see enough fruit from you. It's not ripe enough. Or whatever it is. You know, is this annoying you? No, you're not patient. You know, like whatever it is that there's, (laughs) that's not really the role of the church. The role is to help people grow in intimacy with Christ. In other words, that the outcome of intimacy with Jesus, the outcome of intimacy with a life with Jesus or with the Holy Spirit is that these things start showing up. And I I would guess if you asked anybody in the world, if you said, would you want to be more patient? Would you want to have more self-control? Would you want to be a person who who exudes love and joy and peace and forbearance, whoever says that, kindness, whatever else in your life? Is that something you would want to have in your life? People would say, yes, but it's so hard, I don't know how. Because maybe it's a little bit out of our hands. Maybe this is the work that Jesus wants to do in you with his spirit in you. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit talks about feeling or being filled. Being sort of empowered by what is already present. And this thing has to be chosen. In other words, we can't just sort of tap into, again, the force, by kind of tapping into vague spirituality. This is through Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus who lives inside of us. So we, our job is to cultivate a heart environment for fertile growth. I mean, some of us have to pull some weeds in our own lives because they're killing and choking out. Our own environment for sort of heart spiritual growth. God intends to have influence in us to shape us and to mold us and to be people that He wants us to be, and we have to let Him. He doesn't force His way, He's not kicking a door open. You see, even those things we have to kill, even those weeds that have to be pulled in our quote unquote garden, we can still ask that God's Spirit would give us the power to do those things. This is what it means that He's an advocate. He's not like, well, go prove yourself and then maybe I'll dwell inside of you. No, 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 no. That's backwards. Choose me. I want to dwell inside you and let me begin to do the work to shape you. Now, this is gonna what I'm gonna tell you next is gonna come as a giant shock to you. Prepare yourselves. We're doing a series on the Bible. One of the ways in which you cultivate a heart environment. That enables you to sort of walk a little bit more in step, that enables you to walk a little bit more in step with the Spirit to enable Him to do the work inside you, which you cannot accomplish by direct effort. I know, get ready. Consider it crazy. Read your Bible. I know, I know. Take a deep breath. I know, it's crazy. I went to church, and the guy told me to read my Bible. I mean, it's sort of a little bit ironic that we've gotten this far in the series that we haven't yet said specifically. If you want to understand more about what this life in God's kingdom is about, you probably should read about it a little bit. Now, I, I realize some of you are like, I don't have time. I have, I, I'm a student. I'm, I work. I do work at home. I'm, you know, I, just, I have 187 kids, and I just can't. There's soccer practice for all of them, and I'm, you know, all we do is eat dino nuggets, and I don't, I'm tired of that. And, you know, whatever else that you got going on. I get it. Let me just tell you my own life how this has looked, okay, through different seasons in my life. Now, this isn't the only way to create sort of, this is just one spiritual discipline, but there's lots of them, prayer and, you know, there's fasting and celebration and, you know, stillness, whatever else. But I'll just give you this one, just reading the Bible. When I was in high school and I started, or junior high, I was like, I'm going to start trying to figure out, people are, I guess they read their Bible if they're Christians. This is when I became a Christian. I'm like, well, I I guess I read my Bible. So I'd read it at times during the morning, I'd read while, while I was eating my cereal, read a little bit, memorize a little bit, you know, whatever. As I got older, like kind of high school, college age, what I would do is I realized I had a hard time concentrating on that stuff. So what I would do is I would, I dedicated myself to prayer. And what I did was I'd memorize a little bit of scripture and I would shoot free throws at a basketball hoop. I would sit out there and I would just shoot however long it took. And I would just, this is what I would do. I would shoot free throws and I would pray and I would memorize scripture. That was the best thing I could do at that time in my life. Now in my life where I'm like, my job is to study and read the Bible. I found that that actually becomes a little bit of a challenge for me in my own personal life to just read it. So here's what I do. I have it read to me. I don't like have a person who follows me around and reads to me. (laughs) Read. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, there are plenty of ways you you can have the Bible read to you over the Internet. And so I just have it read to me so that I have to interact with it differently than simply studying it because I do a lot of that during my week. But I have it read to me. Sometimes it's in my car, sometimes it's, you know, at my house, sometimes, you know, whatever. But this is the way in which I begin to go. God wants to reveal himself to me. I spend time in prayer and I spend time sort of reading God's word. And occasionally in different periods of my life I've been more active and less active in journaling. All of those things are super important. But this is the way in which God intends to begin to work in the fertile soil of your heart. You can run from God and he will wait for you. He will even chase you, but he won't kick a door in. Maybe there's some, for some of us in here, there's some, some weeding that needs to happen in that garden. Maybe there's some things that need to be killed. And maybe there's a little bit more margin that we have to create that we go, okay, God, whatever I got to do to be able to hear you. And I realize there are different stages of life for everybody in here. And in no way is this going to be a guilt. How many minutes of time did you spend and did you get a little special gold star? That you know, We're not going to do that here. The question we're asking is, what does your intimacy with Jesus look like? Is it one in which you're feeling filled or is it one in which you're feeling empty? And your right sense about it isn't how much did you do or how, you know, what, one of the ways you can gauge about how, how healthy you are with those quote-unquote disciplines is how you feel when you don't do them. Are you overwhelmed with guilt when you got something kind of messed up about it? You want to walk with Jesus? You want to walk in step with him that he might change your life? What do you want to do? Let's pray together. I'm going to give you a moment to consider some of these things. Just as, as your eyes are closed for a moment, I, want, I heard something this week that just, it, it sparked in me, a, a, I mean, it was kind of a revelation, it was brilliant. This is a guy on our staff who said, I'm learning to pray different about the Spirit, and maybe this is you. He says, that I do is I pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power, or with, or in the power of the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Jesus, we pray that there is a work you would do in our lives that is powerful and unmistakable. Jesus, there's so much mystery and confusion about your Holy Spirit, Father, and yet, We know that that is the way in which you would stand by us, that you would change us, that you would move in us, that you would empower us. Let me ask you, just as you guys, again, with your eyes closed. What is it in your life that has to be put to death? What is it that has to be uprooted and weeded? Where do you need God's power to help you to do those things? Where do you need a supernatural intervention in your life in which the Holy Spirit would come in and give to you power for those things that they might be uprooted? Where is it in your life that you feel a great emptiness that you long to be filled? That God's kingdom presence and power would be made known in you and through you that in the world people would see you and they would acknowledge there is a kingdom, a clash of things that are now happening What is it for you? Some of you may know this prayer. It's the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. It's the prayer of a kingdom that would come. So if you know it, you may say it. If those of you who don't, just listen to it. It's this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Would you stand as we sing and respond together today to what God is doing in us? I want to remind you, too, there's opportunities to come forward for prayer. You need the Holy Spirit to intervene in a powerful way. I would encourage you to write some of that stuff down. Maybe consider praying with some of our our prayer team. But let's pray and respond in these these songs together about God's good kingdom coming to bear on us.